Step number one, turn on the green light. Can you hear that? Yes. <coughs> okay. Yes, and turn down that light. That's better. Okay. My mic went out. In, out. <laughs> All right. It's still green. It's still on. <coughs> it's my voice. All right. So I have to speak. <laughs> okay, Bob. So open your eyes. Hello. Yeah, don't put it in your pocket. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know what we're going to do with this, but maybe we'll put it right here. How's that? Still working. Okay, welcome. I'm looking around. There are a few folks that I wouldn't know your name, and maybe I'll change that after the service, so don't run away, please. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, Stephen and Katie and the kids are in Texas. I'm not sure what he said about that trip last week, but basically they went to have a special celebration time, a banquet that helps in supporting the mission activities that Katie's parents do in West Africa. So I'd like to take just a minute right now and pray for them. God, you know all the details. You know the needs, you know the joys, you know the challenges that Katie's mom and dad have followed, have faced, but you have blessed. You continue to bless. And we ask, Lord, that you bless their faithfulness as they serve you in a difficult place, but where hearts and lives can be changed and are changed as a result of your gospel. Pray, Lord, that as we look into your word this morning, you would help us to get the right meaning, the right message from you, to be encouraged because of what the Messiah has done for us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot of scripture this morning, but first, I don't know whether you have a picture in your mind, but let's paint this picture. On a hill in Jerusalem, maybe kind of whitish dirt in the background, stands King Solomon. So who was Solomon? One answer? All right, that's a good start. Solomon was the king. He was David's son. He was in God's line for being king over Israel. About 1004 B.C., give or take 10, 20 years. That was Mr. Usher who used that particular date. But imagine that. That's 3,000 years ago. 
pretty long time. No Google, no FM stations, no smartphones, no bicycles. People walked. No smog, no ballpoint pens, and no democracy. God's king, Solomon. It was peaceful. You remember that David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, hold on, I'm going to let your son do that in a peaceful time. It was a peaceful time. No wars. Solomon, the wisest king around, maybe even the wisest man around, even in the world, because God had blessed them. He did a bunch of things, including, we think, writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Can you say that with me? Ecclesiastes. That's good. Now, what page is it on? No. Okay. But it's back in the Old Testament, right? It's in the wisdom books. And a couple weeks ago, when David Platt on the video series was talking about Ecclesiastes, it was like he was overwhelmed with all the bad stuff in Ecclesiastes. Do you think of it that way? What's the word that comes to mind when you think of Ecclesiastes? Someone else? Sorrow. Sorrow. Vanity. You remember that word? Vanity. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Stick with me. That's just the way God was leading me as we went into this particular look into his word today. Why look at Ecclesiastes? It seemed like a discouraging view of mankind that was being presented. And I think there's some of that there. This was the wisest man in that particular time, maybe even the wisest man ever, Solomon, who wrote these words in his older years, true. Maybe Solomon reminds you of you. Listen to the words as we read today. But the focus is not on what's in Ecclesiastes. The focus is on what happened after Ecclesiastes. What Solomon might have known, what Solomon might not have known, and what we know today. Significant difference. It's not to be... Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But it's to be encouraged by what Jesus has done, by the example he has given us. So follow this as we go through. Solomon, King David's son. Who doesn't remember the, song, or the story about Solomon and the baby? Raise your hand. You remember that story? It was a scary story. Solomon said, bring me a sword. We're going to take care of this problem with this baby. There were two mothers who said that the baby was theirs. And Solomon said, bring the sword. We'll cut the baby in half and give half to each mother. 
And the true mother said, don't you dare hurt that child. Give him to the other mom. And Solomon said, she's the mother. And everyone was astounded at his wisdom that God had given him and demonstrated in that particular situation. God allowed Solomon to build the temple, a great temple. Verse after verse after verse, the details in the Old Testament about God's temple, a glory, a place for God to dwell with the people of Israel, his people. Solomon had some dramatic things happen to him. One of the things was that as he was trying to keep up with all the sacrificial responsibilities and, by the way, for the temple sacrifice, the dedication, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep, all sacrificed on the altar at the new temple, and God sent the fire. And Solomon saw it. And the people of Israel saw it. God took action. Solomon was serious about sacrifice. It's what he knew. Second Chronicles 7.14, we read, Jehovah God spoke directly to Solomon. I think that was pretty dramatic. Here's, here's a verse out of that particular passage that you probably remember. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. A promise, action by God, if his people did what he said. Solomon was rich. He was incredibly rich. He was maybe the richest guy around. People from all over the known world at that point came to see him. They brought gifts. If you think he had it all together and that his life was on track and that he might even be happy, well, perhaps. But wait till we read some of these verses in Ecclesiastes. It's evident that even though Solomon was blessed by God and visited by God and spoken to by God and God demonstrated his power right there in front of him and God had given him special responsibilities, that Solomon wandered. Solomon didn't always do what God had in mind for him to do. 1 Kings 11.9, here's an example. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And then some years went by, maybe 30 years, maybe 50 years, not certain, but a number of years, lots of experiences that Solomon went through 
And here we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let me read these. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever turning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already there long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Sounds like Solomon was in a fit of discouragement. Seriously. But, for most people, there was still death and taxes. It's true that Hebrew writing is different forms that we don't necessarily grasp the uh, consequence of or the feeling of or the sound of, and Ecclesiastes has some of that in it, so we don't get exactly the way the words were written. But you can bet that the Hebrew people got it. After all, God was using this as a way to speak to them. His word. Over and over, Solomon wrote similar things. Why? Ecclesiastes 9. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even the live dog is better off than a dead lion. Again, a lot of discouraging words, but there's a little sound of hope there, perhaps. While some might say that Solomon was cynical about the value of living, even though it's better than being dead, Solomon had not lost it totally. He was still in touch. What perspective did he have on God? Or what good things did he say about God in relationship to him? Here's some more verses in Ecclesiastes 3. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy. 
and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Solomon's perspective. Was it really joyful and hopeful? It had truth about God. God had revealed him to him. Solomon had gone through good times. Solomon had gone through not so good times. Paying attention to God, not paying attention to God. Now, some of these words represent how he's feeling. Ecclesiastes 11, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Solomon still revered God and recognized God as great, as beyond him. What might have prompted Solomon to write all this? Is it not uh, seemingly discouraging? Yes. It's not a lot of verses. You can read Ecclesiastes in a relatively short time. Yet the words have impact. He comes to a conclusion point in Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Solomon has a clear picture of God. God is above him. God has standards. God has things that he's going to follow through on. Not a lot of joy, in my opinion, showing up in these verses. Solomon knew certain things about life in those days. He knew about how God dealt with humans. And he knew uh, one of the primary things, that there was the law that God had given. Well, there was the Ten Commandments, you remember those. Don't have other gods, make no images, never use God's name in vain, keep the Sabbath holy, honor your parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, bear no false witness, and no coveting. Well, those were enough, but then there was a ton of other things that were the rules and regulations that God had laid out for how the land and the people of Israel should behave. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. What was the way to righteousness in those days for Solomon and, the, and God's people? It was through following the guidelines that God had given. People knew the word sacrifice. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Actually, 
That's what Solomon was led to write by God at that time. But it's not the whole story. What did he know? He was a wise man. He was successful. And he had failed. He knew how to make sacrifices. And he did them. Let's stop for a comparison moment. Just for a moment. Anybody here think that we're better off today? No one? Okay, a few of you. That's where we're going to try and go next and see what the difference is, why the difference, how it impacts us. Solomon, a great man of God, but what do you think he failed to see? Anybody dare to answer one thing? He didn't see that Christ was coming. That 3,000 years ago time, it was about 250 years before the time when Isaiah wrote those words that you heard this morning about the coming Messiah. Solomon didn't know it. Not only that, he didn't realize that his family line was essential to following through on God's promise to bring the Messiah to his people. Solomon only had a little perspective on what God really had in store for him and his children in the future. future. He also didn't apparently have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had not come on all believers at that point. We know that happened later on, after Jesus completed the job on the cross and was raised again from the dead. He missed this idea that his bloodline, his family, was an important asset in the expectation of the Messiah coming. Even with all these great things going on, this great man missed it. He missed it. So how much have we missed today? Talking individuals, what have we missed? Does this humdrum living concept, the vanity plan, keep going on? Yeah, it does. But times have changed. The Messiah has come. We have some revelation that God has given us in his word. We have the spirit to indwell us. We have believers to share with us and grow with us and serve with us. The opportunity is to be better than the vanity plan that Solomon laid out. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, promised by God to his people, is the one who makes the difference. The fact is that the Messiah has changed everything about today and eternity. Not just eternity, but today. 
It's not make your sacrifice on the altar. It's no longer eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We don't have to be burdened down by every sin. We don't have to go to that altar and physically make a sacrifice. The Messiah has already done it. It's not make your sacrifice on the altar. The Messiah made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. In Hebrews 10, a book that was written to God's people. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We don't have to make the sacrifice. We need to accept the sacrifice. John 1, 12, powerful words. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, born of God. The Messiah has lived an example of how we should live. Matthew 9, and Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And Jesus gave us a new commandment. We've read this. We've heard this. Here it is again, Mark 12. And Jesus answered them, First of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Is that different than Solomon's situation absolutely absolutely it's an uplifting challenging commandment but it's not on our own Jesus had made the promise and he'd given the challenge John 15 a reminder if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. No longer a vanity plan, a directive, a directive on what we're supposed to do. So God had some different things in store that Solomon never saw coming for believers and those who need to believe. A better today. It's not just the vanity plan anymore. Daily living is still something given by God, and it has its issues, but it also has its blessings. Today has its reminders of how God is at work, How has he answered the prayers that we prayed? Do you remember? Do you recognize God answers prayer? How has he directed and empowered us individually to do things for his kingdom, to touch other people's lives, to recognize that we're supposed to actually love him and thank him and rely upon him? He's near And there's more to living. And there's a better eternity. What do you think those Israelites and Solomon thought about eternity? Some of what Solomon wrote wasn't all that clear and encouraging. We have God's promise of eternity to spend with him. Got to make the decision to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, God's son. A better confidence. God is with us. We're not on our own. And there's a better challenge. It's not just do good, you know. Get a good job. Work hard at it. Have a family. Pay attention. Not saying any of those things are not part of God's will for us as individuals. But that's not the motivation. That's not the foundation. The foundation is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came, went to the cross on our behalf, paid the penalty for sin, one sacrifice for all, for all time, took care of that, demonstrated his love. As I was reading these words, I was thinking, what if Jesus only had to look forward to the vanity plan when God asked him to come to earth. I want you to go down there and, you know, sort of have a good time, take care of people, that sort of thing. Doesn't sound all that motivating. But God asked his son to come and do a major work, but he touched people. He was the one who wanted the disciples around him. He wanted to teach them. He wanted to share with them. He wanted to help those harassed, those who had needs. He wanted to be a demonstration of God's love. Solomon didn't get to see that. You could understand why he might have been discouraged. But we see this lived out in God's word and lived out in God's people. And... For each one who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus, we're supposed to be a responsible example of the Messiah so that others can see that there's a lot more 
than the vanity plan. A better challenge, a better rock to stand on. Jesus is our rock. We don't have to go it alone. Have you seen the need? Have you seen the way? Have you put your trust in Jesus, the Messiah, difference, daily and into eternity? Have you started living with the better challenge and standing on the solid rock? You can't without the Messiah difference in your heart. It's a hard thing. You have an opportunity to come and acknowledge Jesus the Messiah. You have an opportunity to come and just thank him as believers. Thank him in your heart for what he's done. Let's pray. God, help us to be encouraged by what we see in your word, by what we see demonstrated in the hearts of believers who have put their faith and trust in the Messiah, the Messiah difference. Thank you, Lord, for the difference that you've made. Help us to keep the right things in view, to rely upon you, to seek your direction as we have opportunity in this life today, and as ha we have the encouragement and the joy of recognizing that we get to spend eternity with you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.